chapter 12, you know that that's the place where we identified last week the spiritual gifts. We helped you to understand different things about spiritual gifts, but ultimately we came to a place of talking about there are three different categories of spiritual gifts. The three different categories of spiritual gifts are the motivational gifts. That's who I am. That's who I am. That's who God made me to be. Whenever I got saved, he imparted to me a spiritual gift that is my motivational gift that I function from. I can't help but function from that. And I received that when I was saved, and I'll have it, and it doesn't change. Everything I do is going to be out of that motivation. The second are ministry gifts. Ministry gifts are what I do, what I do in the body of Christ. And those things can change. I may do something in the body of Christ at some time, and another time I may be called to minister in a different way in the body of Christ. I also may have more than one gift at a time. I may be functioning from two ministry gifts, but once again, I'm functioning those two ministry gifts from the motivation that God's given me, which is one of seven gifts that we'll be talking about. The third gift, then, that you find there in verse 6 and 7 are the manifestation gifts, are the effects gift. That the manifestation gifts are, are what happens in the body of Christ to people whenever the ministry gift is exercised. In other words, it's what happens within us, each of us, as the others are ministering to us, what God does in our heart. And there can be multiple manifestations in our life, and, and there can be multiple manifestations in the body of Christ. One person may over here receive a word of wisdom from that, that gift that person exercises in teaching, preaching, whatever it might be. And another person over here on the opposite side gets a word of conviction. How do you get a word of wisdom and a word of conviction? Because there are different manifestation gifts that happen as the body of Christ is exercising the ministry gifts under their various motivation. So the motivational gifts, there are, there's one. Every person has one, and there's seven, and they're listed in Romans 12. All right, Romans chapter 12. They're listed there, these seven. Then I share with you there are ministry gifts, and there are multiple of those, and I'll give to you later what those are and where they're found. I gave it to you last week, but we'll review that. And then the manifestation gifts are multiple as well. But what will help us now is for us to go through each one of the motivational gifts. And we go through the motivational gifts and we're going to identify the characteristics of these motivational gifted people. Right? What, what are their characteristics? And, and I promise you that if you will hang on and you'll go through all of these together and you'll look at them, you'll be able to identify your motivational gift. I mean, it's just going to kind of jump out on the page and say, that's me. That's where I am. That's where I live. Now, remember this, that as you grow as a Christian and you mature in Christ, you're going to have more characteristics of all the motivational gifts. Why? Because the perfect example of all gifts is who? It's Jesus. So if you become more like Jesus, then you're going to exemplify more of the characteristics of each of those gifts. And so it may not be as easy for you to pick out what your gift is as it might be some. But you still are going to find it. And that motivational gift is going to be something that you easily do. Right? 
you easily do, and you're effective at it. Not because you were trained in it, not because uh, somebody uh, told you the secret about it. You're just effective at it because that's what God gave you as a motivation. You're going to be effective at that because God has gifted you in that, and it's going to be easy to you. You don't have to work hard. Some things we have to work hard at, don't we? Other things, it just kind of falls into place. How did that happen? How, how did I do that? Because God is doing it through you. Remember, all of these gifts are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And the one who does it inside of you is the Holy Spirit. He's the one who empowers you. All right? So if you go now from 1 Corinthians, where I gave you those three listings, to over into Romans chapter 12, we'll look at those seven motivational gifts Seven motivational gifts found in verse 6 and following. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each exercise them accordingly. Verse 1, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith. Two, if service in his serving. He who teaches in his teaching. Or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Those are the seven motivational gifts. Once again, prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, giving, leading or administration, and mercy. And each one of you will have one of those gifts. And what I want to do is I want to take the first one, which is prophecy. And I want to share with you characteristics of those gifts. Characteristics of what people do and how they function and how they live. A lot of study has been going into this. A lot of research has gone into it from a Christian perspective of trying to see how people in the body of Christ function to be able to identify these characteristics. So... We'll go through that outline that I gave you. The first is the motivational gift of prophecy. The motivation is to reveal and correct unrighteous motives or actions by presenting God's truth with authority. Now, that definition is important. There are three important things about that. First of all, the prophet is one who's going to come and reveal and correct unrighteous motives and actions. The, the prophet is the one who comes along in the body of Christ and wants to identify if something is ungodly, if something is not going well, if something is not pleasing to God, all right? Now, that means sometimes the prophet is not really very well liked. A, a lot of prophets in the Old Testament weren't very well liked, were they? No, m many of them were killed because they were prophets telling people how they needed to correct things. You remember one of the major prophets of the, Old, of the New Testament was John the Baptist. And he was going to help know the right way. And whenever he goes before the king and tells the king that he's, he's worthless and he's a fornicator, what happened to him? He ended up losing his head. All right? But, but what was his job? He was going to reveal the wrong motives or actions of somebody. Okay? That's the prophet. Now, what is that for? It says, by presenting what? God's truth. 
It's not, the prophet is not responsible for going and telling somebody they're wrong because the prophet thinks they're wrong. Do you know what the prophet's job is? The prophet's job is to reveal God's truth as a plumb line before other people to find out whether they're right or wrong. So the prophet is going to continuously be presenting God's truth and saying, how do you, how do you measure up with that? <laughs> how, how do you measure up with that? And, and the fourth four thing is this, God's truth with authority. The prophet is always going to have an authoritative manner about him. Not because he's, he's this person who demands authority. It's just because God gifts him in that way. He stands with authority and he preaches. You remember when Jesus, who's the perfect example of all gifts, when he taught, what did they say about Jesus' teaching? He teaches like no other. He teaches with authority. All right? He teaches with authority. Now, let me say one thing, and you write down in your notes so that you put it in your mind. Prophecy is forthtelling, not primarily foretelling. All right? A lot of people, when they think about the gift of prophecy, it's like, well, that person's going to be able to tell what's happening out there in the future, and it's going to come true. That's not the job of the prophet. The prophet's job is to foretell. He tells what God says about a situation, what God feels about a situation. He reveals the will of God about that. Now, sometimes in regard to that, they are foretelling. What did, what did the prophets of old do? They, they, Jeremiah warned them and warned them, you better turn back, you better follow God. If you don't, you're going to be carried away. You're going to be carried away. What happened to them? They were carried away. <laughs> and, and so somebody said, well, he was foretelling. Well, he was foretelling, but he was more forthtelling because the opportunity, could, they could have repented, amen? So the prophet is the foreteller. He's the mouthpiece of God to foretell the truth of God, to correct and to get God's people in line. Now, because that prophet is going to be foretelling and constantly bugging people about whether or not they're right or righteous or measuring up, sometimes they're not the most popular people in the world. They don't usually win the popularity contest. All right? Get that in your mind. Get that in your heart. Okay? Now, look at some of the things you want to see. Number one. The person with this gift is able to powerfully persuade in speech. So ordinarily, who would, who would be serving in this capacity? Well, from a vocational perspective, it's going to be a preacher, evangelist, a, a revivalist would be that way. But it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be, and I promise you, not always is, quote, professional ministers, Right? Many lay people will have the gift of prophecy. There'll be one who's going to come along in that Sunday school class, and in that Sunday school class, everybody's moving along, and here's this person comes up, can be a man, can be a woman, and they say, well, you know, what God's Word says is that's wrong. <laughs> or for them to do that, that would not be according to the Scripture. Or that's not what God says we ought to do. Now, whenever somebody would say that, what are they doing? They're bringing back people, they're bringing back them in their hearts and minds to the truth of God's Word so that it will reveal anything that is a wrong motive action in the life of that person. You ought to always be thankful when a prophet comes your way. If a prophet comes your way, they're going to be there to help you to know what is pleasing to God, what is honoring to God, and what things are displeasing to God. 
And they're, and they're going to help you to be able to do that. All right? Now look at the second thing. To bring to light things previously concealed. Now, here's the one thing about prophets. Prophets, whenever they get up and they begin to preach, or they begin to proclaim, they begin, some people are going to think that they read their mail. Or some people are going to think that they looked in the window. <laughs> I, mean, they, they, just, I, I can't tell you from what I, I preached for, I've had people come up, yeah, I'm in revival, I don't know anybody, I don't know their name, anybody else. And, and they literally have said that, man, if I didn't know better, I thought you were reading my mail. Now, now, why would that be? How would that be? Because the gift of prophecy is, is what God's Spirit is doing, not what the man's doing, what God's Spirit's doing to bring about truth and to reveal wrong actions and motives or whatever might be in the life of a person so they can get right, so they can be right with God. God wants us to be right with Him more than we want to be right with Him, okay? And He wants us to walk with Him in a manner of pleasing. So He's going to bring every means He can, and one of those is a prophet along the way who's going to help us to know whether or not we're walking in the stride with God, right? And here's the third thing. To edify, comfort, and encourage Fellow believers. That's the flip side of conviction, right? The flip side of conviction. Conviction is where you're trying to convict somebody to know they need to change and they need to make, it, make a difference in life and the way they're going. Well, this other side is the prophet also has a way to encourage and to comfort and edify people. He's, he's able to come along and, and say, listen, you, you, you're walking and you're pleasing to God and God's honored in that and keep going. They, they have that role in that ministry. They really do. And it means a lot to people because if, if the person ordinarily is the one who's telling you, man, this is wrong and you've got to get this right and this is not where you ought to be, for them to come along and to say, I'm here to tell you, you're doing a good job. What an encouragement that is. One of the things about me and my kids when we were all growing up, I was one of those, and I know you, some of you mothers are not going to like this. I already know that. Okay. But I never let my children win. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I let them win if they earned it. You know, I, I made them earn it. If I played boys and basketball, we were going to play hard and everything else. And, and, but, but you know what? When I wouldn't do that, whenever they beat me, and I would say, boy, you did a good job, it meant so much to them. To this day, they love to beat me at anything. And, and this day, they beat me at most everything. Except putting. Huh? Except putting. That's right. I won the putting championship the other day. Did y'all know that? I don't even know how to putt. That was, that, that's, called, that's called luck is what that's all about. It's called luck. Yeah, I'm not going to be taking that. Don't worry. I, I get mad without paying for it. Well, the thing about it is, is whenever you come along and you and you are able to encourage them away, it means something. It's not fake. It's not false about that. All right. Look what else. To reveal the secrets of men's heart, causing them to fall down and worship God. What, what's the whole purpose of confronting people about their heart? It, it, the, only, the only purpose is to cause them to worship God more. 
that God would do something in their life to revive them, to renew them, to cause them to love God more. That's what the prophet's all about. He's not about himself. or He's not about what he does or what anybody thinks about him. It's all about God. What, is, what do people think about God? What do people think about God? It's everything about God. All right. Look at number four. Four important characteristics for the prophet. A prophet must depend more on the power of the Holy Spirit to convict than his persuasive ability. Who has your Bible? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. Who could read that for me? This is what it says. A prophet must depend more on the power of the Holy Spirit to convict than his persuasive ability. Who's got that? 1 Corinthians 2, 4. My Bible drillers are going to have to get here, I'm telling you. Anyway, he got it, Dave. She's reading it right here. That's all right. Okay, he said, my preaching wasn't what? With the persuasive words of wisdom, but the Spirit's power. And, and so the prophet's got to be careful that he doesn't depend more upon his ability to persuade than he does the Holy Spirit, all right? The Holy Spirit is the power. And so what the prophet must make sure he does, he's not trying to hone his skills, he's trying to humble his heart. You get it? He's not honing his skills, he's humbling his heart because a humble heart God can use and the Holy Spirit will use him, okay? A prophet must have love without hypocrisy. One of the more difficult things for a prophet is to love. But they need to. And it means without hypocrisy, they have a genuine love for people. A genuine love for people. Now one of the problems with that is sometimes the task and the job of the prophet is so hard that they have to confront people about sin, that it sometimes overcomes that love that they need to have in their heart. Yeah, you're right. All right, listen. A prophet must despise what is evil. He must despise what is evil. How much? Just as much as God does. You know, God hates evil. He hates evil. He loves the sinner, but he hates evil. And the prophet has to have that in his heart. Look at number four. A prophet must grasp that which is good. We must learn, a prophet must learn to see the good. We must learn to see the good. The, the problem sometimes with prophets, and I am a prophet, motivational gift of prophecy. The problem with a prophet sometimes is they fail to see what's good because they're looking at what might have been better. What, what could have been better instead of rejoicing about what is good? And that's not where a prophet... A prophet needs to learn how to grasp that which is good and celebrate that. Now look at the dangers for a prophet. Being proud of his rhetoric, rhetoric or persuasiveness. God cannot use a proud prophet. Okay? One of the most useless people in the world is a proud prophet. God will use that prophet when he's humble. But if he becomes proud because he thinks he can speak well or he has the power to persuade or he's something special, God will set him, will set him on the sideline. All right? Let me share with you my early experience about that. Whenever I, when I was just called to preach, I mean, as soon as I was called to preach, I just began to preach. I would get revivals and go and preach revivals. And 
we had a revival team, and man, we traveled all over the all over the South in our revival team. And when I was only I, 20 years old, I, I preached at the State Evangelism Conference at, in Alabama. You know, I was having all kind of opportunity. But here was the problem: is the more that I preached, and the more that I got to know, you know, I was the next Billy Graham. You know, there's there's a Billy Graham's on it around every corner. Do you know that? But the problem was, is whenever you start believing it, you start believing it. And so by the time I went to seminary, I went to seminary out in Fort Worth, Texas. And I'm just being real candidly honest with you, you know. When I went out to seminary, I thought, now whenever they find out I'm out here, I'll have all kind of places to preach. Well, the only problem, there's about 3,800 of them who thought the same thing. They were all students out there. When I went out to seminary, I had preached and preached and preached. I didn't have a place to preach anywhere. I preached one revival the whole time I was there, filled in, filled in for my professors whenever they, a couple of them, whenever they needed somebody to fill in for them, would travel. One day I traveled three hours to go preach to about ten people, and the person who was supposed to feed me, I went to their house and they fed me, and they told me, now when you get through eating, you've got to leave because we've got company coming. That'll bless your heart. That'll bless you. And then, and then I spent the rest of the afternoon on a wood bench trying to sleep, get some rest before I preached again that night to about three people. And it went on. I mean, I'll tell you, it was one of the most humbling things. But I'll never forget sitting, sitting in my uh, apartment and looking out and seeing some birds out there flying around. I was, I was moping and groaning. You know, I'm sure y'all wouldn't have done that. But I was moping and groaning about my life and what was going on. And God told me this. God, God said, he, he said, do you realize that I don't have to use you? I don't have to use you. He said, I choose to use you. I don't have to. And he took back to Elijah. He said, you know, you know I, can use, I can take dry bones and breathe life into dry bones and do a better job than you do. I don't have to use you. I choose to use you. And I'm telling you what, that's the best education I ever got. It's better than my seminary education. Because I was a totally different person. When I got through the seminary, I was totally different. Not because of education, because of the humble heart. So I never took for granted any time I had a chance to preach God's word. You don't have to use you. Choose to use you. Amen? And God's going to work you. Prophet, if you're a prophet out there, get ready. He's going to keep you humble. All right? He's going to keep you humble to keep you useful. What did Paul do? Paul had what? Thorn in the flesh. To do what? Keep him humble. Keep him useful. Look at what else. Two. Become more dependent on his ability to speak than the power of the Holy Spirit to convict. If you have the gift of, of a prophet, you have the gift of gab. Okay, I'm talking about you. You just really do have the gift of gab. You, you can, after a while, you can get up and you can just preach or off of your cuff, you can lead a Bible study and not study. Not study. You just have this ability to do that, all right? Be careful. Be careful. Because if you begin to depend upon your abilities to get you through, you're going to be sorry. I'm talking about really sorry. And you're not going to be useful in the kingdom of God. Because you're dependent on what? Your ability to get through. Rather than the Holy Spirit doing it in your life. Three... Seeing people as groups rather than individuals with personal needs. This is so very important. If you happen to have the gift of prophecy, prophets feel more comfortable teaching and preaching to groups than they do individual 
conversations. It's, it, the, the prophet's format is to preach to the group. Preach to the group. Not to go down counseling with everybody. You know, it's kind of, I, I heard one preacher who's a true prophet, and this is what he said. He said, when he'd get out of the pulpit, go down there, somebody want to ask him questions. And his answer was, I just preach it. I don't explain it. <laughs> I, I just preach it. I don't explain it. And, and to a certain degree, that's exactly where prophets are. When you, walk in, when you walk in that arena, God takes you and uses you in that realm. When you walk off of there, it's like, it's like you walked off of the zone. And, and your, your comfortable level is not necessarily with individual people. That's not, that's not where, you, where you function best in relationship to that. Now, on the flip side of that, I'd say this. A lot of times prophets are, are perceived as harsh, and because they're perceived as harsh, many people won't approach them. They won't approach them because, oh, man, they're going to be harsh. They're going to nail me to the, my hide to the wall, you know. And that's not a prophet. A prophet can be bold, like Paul said. He can be bold in one setting, and very humble in the next setting. It's different. Okay? Look at the characteristics of prophecy gift very quickly. They have a need to express his message verbally, especially on matters of right and wrong. Now, prophets are going to speak. If you're a prophet, when you go into your study or you study a Bible study, do you know what the first thing you're going to do when you study something new? You're going to come out and try to tell somebody. You're going to hunt somebody down and tell them, man, you know what I just studied? You know what I just learned? You're going to go tell somebody. When you go home to your wife or wherever you're you've got to tell somebody what you learned. That's different from a teacher. A teacher learns something, and they get satisfied just because they know it. They've learned it, and they know it. It doesn't matter if they tell anybody. Not a prophet. A prophet learns it, so I can go tell it. That's the way you function from. You just got to go tell. You got to speak. All right? Two, the ability to quickly discern the character and motives of people. Prophets have a spirit of discernment. A spirit of discernment. Very quickly you can go into a group of people and just be around people and you can, you can know what people are hurting. You can know what people are feeling. You know what people have joy. You just uh, Sometimes prophets, you want to walk around with a bag on your head. You really just put a bag on your head because you don't want to know what other people are thinking or what other people are feeling at that point in time. You just have this sense. Now, why would that be? Because God's going to use you somehow in some way to minister to the group as a whole. The capacity to identify, define, and hate evil. All right? Identify, define, and hate evil. It's kind of like being able to look under the hood, be able to see what the problem is and know what's happening in relationship to that. The willingness to express brokenness to prompt brokenness in others. Now, here's one thing. Truth about a prophet. If a prophet sins, makes a mistake and sins or whatever, nobody will be as broken as the prophet is. The prophet be broken. Beat themselves up because they've sinned and they messed up because they've been proclaiming, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin. And all of a sudden they've blown it. And, and they've sinned. They'll be broken. And they're willing for their brokenness to be a catalyst for other people to experience brokenness as well. The desire of the prophet is for people to be broken so they can be remade in the image of Christ. Okay? Look at this. Verse 4. I mean, number 4. The willingness to experience brokenness to prompt brokenness to others. 5. The dependence on scriptural truth to validate his authority. Now, here's, here's the thing about a, a prophet. A prophet will, wants biblical authority to validate what he's saying. 
Okay, in other words, when they get up and they're not just going to get up and say, this is true. They're going to say, this is true based on what it says in Colossians 3. Okay? And they're going to be busy at validating what they say. That's going to be different from a teacher. A teacher doesn't validate. They're going to get into all the scripture and they're going to look at the scripture from ins and outs in every way. Not to validate anything. They just want to know what it says, what it means. Okay? Prophet ain't worried about that. Prophet's one, I know what it, I want to know what it means, what it says, so I can go tell somebody. That's, that's where, they, where they function from, basically. Okay. Now, I'm telling you, teachers, teachers and prophets will run head on against each other. They, because sometimes a teacher will go, I'm not sure that's exactly what that says. I'm not sure that's exactly what that means. Now, my first church that I pastored, I had this lady, she had the gift of teaching. All right? And I'm telling you, she was an excellent teacher. She's a piano player, and she sat right down here. And I'm telling you, every sermon, I, you know, I'm just out of seminary, so I don't know nothing anyway. <laughs> I'm up here preaching, and, and, and I'm, I'm all, all fire, you know, a lot, of, a lot of fire, a lot of smoke, not much heat. You know, I'm going, I'm going at it. And, and she, I'd watch her face, and she'd be like, <laughs> I mean, like, you know how hard it is to preach when somebody's going, sure enough, after the sermon, she'd come up there and said, where, where, and what, uh, what commentary did you read that in? You know, where, where did you see this? I, man, every time I'm just like, yeah. But you know what? Her being there made me a better preacher. Because from that point on, I always had to have a, I knew she was going to be wondering, so I was ready for her when she came at me. Well, I know it came from here. She made me a lot better preacher. Because she's a teacher who made me not only validate what I was saying, but to actually know what I'm saying. All right? God uses those kind of things. Look at the next thing. Uh, prophets have a desire for outward evidence to demonstrate inward conviction. Do you know what prophets like? They like public invitations and people coming down. They really do. They like to see some people respond. Matter of fact, I don't know if you realize this or not, but for prophets, when somebody doesn't respond and there's somebody not coming down the invitation, they get depressed almost. It's like the validation of what happened. Now, I know people say, well, there are people making decisions everywhere. They're making decisions everywhere. You hear that one. They're, they're all under conviction. You know. Well, for the prophet, that doesn't really satisfy him. He'd like to see somebody so under conviction they actually came forward or they actually made a decision. Now, for other people, that doesn't matter. A teacher, I don't care. I don't care if everybody makes a decision. They're just sharing knowledge that's there. It doesn't matter. But for a prophet, that's the way. So most prophet preachers usually are ready to resign on Mondays. <laughs> Mondays, Mondays is, is the day of resignation for most preachers. They realize they got to work on, so they stay on until Tuesday. You know. And I heard one preacher said that he, doesn't, he wasn't about to take off on Mondays because he, he was not going to waste his day off on being miserable. <laughs> you know, so, a lot of truth to that. I'm here to tell you, because prophets, what? They like to see somebody respond. What else? A directness, frankness, and persuasiveness in speaking. Matter of fact, they're more direct and frank than, than they realize sometimes. You know, sometimes they, they think they look sound real sweet when they're saying all this stuff, but it's hurting somebody else's feeling. A concern for the reputation and will of God. That's everything. It's all about God. What does God think? What are we pleasing God? What are we doing? A personal identification with sins of those with whom he ministers. In other words, a prophet, you're going to find a prophet who will try to seek to relate to other people who have sinned and faltered and failed. 
prophet's not going to be back to sit back and point their finger and say, you're guilty and you're the only one who's guilty. Many times the prophet will relate and say, in, in a way, I know what it's like, I failed. I know what it's like, I went through something similar to that. And they're transparent about that. The prophet, like I told you, willing to be broken for others to experience brokenness. So they'll easily relate to people about their sin. Ten, an eagerness to point out blind, blind spots and flaws in order to see other people repent. What's the misunderstanding of the prophecy gift? That their frankness may be viewed as harshness. That, that they're being frank and direct and straight, it makes them harsh, or they're perceived as they're harsh and mean, and they don't care about anybody, and just like to hurt people, and those kind of things. And for a prophet, by and large, a prophet's shocked by that, because that's not their heart. They're, they do what they do, because they love people. They do. I hear to tell you, nobody would do it voluntarily. They wouldn't, because it's not an easy job to be a prophet. So they do it because they love people. And then, but because they are direct and say, well, yeah, this is sin. Oh, what you did was sin. What you did, you know, you, you got to change. It's viewed as harshness. Look at two. Interest in groups may be interpreted as disinterest in individuals. It's not they're not disinterested. They love individuals. They care for individuals. But their comfort level is what? With a group. Efforts to gain results may be seen as using gimmicks. <laughs> Some of them are gimmicks. I mean, you ever been in, you, ever been, you remember the old revival services where the preacher would come in and revival services and they'd say, there's a nickel under your chair or there's this kind of thing or that kind of thing. Remember what I'm saying? They'd just come on down we'll give you a tape cassette or, you know. Sometimes there are gimmicks. But it's not that they want to be gimmicky. It's, it's the matter that they, they, they're driven to see somebody come, somebody respond. All right. Four, focus on right and wrong. The focus on right and wrong may be judged as intolerance of partial good. I say, well, I'm, not, I'm not all bad. I'm not all bad. No, but that other part's bad. <laughs> so they're perceived that they don't see the good, and, and they do, they see the good in people, but what they're trying to do is to help you to get rid of the blemish, you know. And maybe like somebody over here says, well, you know, I, I, my, that's all this part of my body's healthy, but I got cancer on my shoulder. Well, the prophet's going to be focused on the cancer, getting rid of the cancer off your shoulder more than the fact the rest of your body's good. Because the rest of your body being good is great and wonderful, that's not really going to matter, but that cancer is going to kill you. And that's where the focus is. Five, emphasis on decisions may appear as neglecting spiritual growth. In other words, we're all in this not for decisions, but to grow spiritually. That's not perceived as a profit. Public boldness and strict standards may hinder intimate personal relationships. Boy, that is ever true. Most prophets do not have intimate personal relationships. Because a lot of times people are scared of them. You know, I mean... I've had people say to me, and this is funny to me, it's hilarious to me, but, you know, they'll, they'll say, like for me, they'll say, people are intimidated by you. You know, and I'm like, they're intimidated by me? You know, that's funny to me to hear that. But people say that all the time because they're intimidated. I think it's because those standards, boldness, and all that thing, it hinders that personal friendship, personal relationship. Most, most prophets do not have close personal friends that are just, they're close personal friends. The strong desire to convey truth may be interpreted as little interest in listening to another's 
personal person's point of view. And it's really, it takes discipline to be quiet for a prophet. A prophet, as soon as something comes up, they want to what? Chime in. And whenever they think they've got the right thing, and it ought to be the way it goes, what are they going to do? They're going to chime in more. And not because they're trying to dominate, it's just because, man, I know what the right thing. I, I really believe this is the right thing. We've got to go talk. We've got to share. And it looks like they're dominating what is happening there, but it's not. It's just their gift. Now, you keep this and you look over this, and whenever it begins to put pieces together is when we ring the next gifts and you see how different they are from that other person. And see how, yeah, I can understand why that person would have problems with the prophet. Or that the prophet would have problems with them. For instance, like I told you my dear wife is mercy, right? Mercy people just love everybody. And if, if people go wrong, we just ought to love them through it. Amen? And so here's the mercy person wanting to love the person who's the sinner and who's made the wrong step and the prophet's wanting to shoot them. <laughs> I mean, really. <laughs> the prophet's approach to things is, you know, if they... They shoot their, it's been accused, they shoot the enemy and they shoot their friends. But their explanation is their friends were just too close to the enemy. They were just standing too close to the enemy. Where the mercy person is, let's just love them all and let's sing Kumbaya and help them to get over it. You see, there's a big difference in, in, in how we put together. But it's, it makes for an exciting journey, an exciting journey. And really where we rub each other to be more like Jesus. Amen? Thank you, Lord, for challenging us in the area of spiritual gifts. Help us to identify who we are and to be the best we can be as a part of the family of God. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a good rest of the week.